Welcome to our Traveling Maestros Unbook Club. This is Kevin Argetta. I'm here with the Maestros Vibe Crew, along with our Traveling Maestro compadre, Mr. Christopher Peck, is here with us, joining us in our first ever Unbook Club. How's everybody doing out there today? Pleasure to be here with this fantastic crew. Great to hear from you, Chris. This is Juan Jefe Espinal here in our book club. Uh, and thanks for having me here. It's been a while. We, this has been a long time coming. And you better believe that we really wanted to make sure we got together because this is important, man. It's mm-hmm. kind of important for us all to get together on the microphone. We're a unique bunch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think with the climate of the world right now, you know, it's important for us to continuously um, reflect on our own pedagogies and reflect on our own biases and values as we move forward, especially, you know, falls right around the corner. And although we don't know what it's going to look like at the moment, uh, it's never too early to start planning. Yeah. And we're mm-hmm. so happy to have you, Chris, all the way from Peru, That's South America. Right. So great to do this. Uh, no, the pleasure is all mine. Con gusto. <laughs> hey, what does bring you down there? So I decided that I really wanted to spend the last part of my year before going back into the classroom in a Spanish-speaking country. And I also met an incredible love of my life that we uh, decided to meet at a certain country. And and Peru was the one that really worked out for both of us. So we got in the day before lockdown, and we've been here ever since. Unpeckable timing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Chris, it's uh, it's really awesome, you know, that um, as you mentioned, uh, you're with the love of your life and you have love in your life. And that definitely uh, makes makes uh, life life better, you know, and um, congratulations on that and happy <laughs> endeavors as you move forward, you know. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so important. It really is to be able to find that just that connection and it really helps guide everything else. So, yeah, talking about that connection, you know, we are our two podcasts here are going to be hosting um, on July fourth our Traveling Maestros Revolutionist Book Club, and our first book is going mm-hmm. to be Pedagogy of the Oppressed, mm-hmm. and we are really looking forward to that conversation. And we thought we'd start off with an unbook club where all of us here uh, would bring text or text. And talk about them. You know, it's important right now to be reflecting. And I'm wondering, Chris, what are you reading? So I've actually been reading a lot. You know, I've been in pretty strict quarantine. And so reading has been one of the things that I've really been able to spend a lot of time really dedicating myself to. And the the most recent book that I just put down was Are Prisons Obsolete? by Angela Davis, the true OG, incredible revolutionary Angela Davis. Uh, and just a really, I mean, she has just a huge pedagogy of, of you know, books that she's written in this history. I was also incredibly fortunate to have her as my commencement speaker uh, for my graduation. Uh, but this book particularly, I think is so interesting. It's her most recent book. And it comes out, you know, she's been working on the abolitionist movement for decades. And it comes out right now when we are talking about the abolition of so many of these oppressive systems that we have in our society, abolition of our police force, 
this one is particularly about the abolition of prisons. And she goes through uh, to kind of give a, a really good overview of the prison, the prison system in the United States, talking about why abolition over reform, giving a general history about how prisons were really created, really tying that into uh, slavery. And uh, and then what's really interesting, it talks about this the prison industrial system and the massive explosion of prisons in our country uh, after the civil rights movement. And so you see this, this, you know, switch from, you often hear it's slavery than Jim Crow. And, and right now we're in this mass imprisonment stage of oppression. And we currently have over 200, uh, sorry, 2 million people in prison. And so she really just like talks about all of this and dives in deep talking about uh, also like the gender structures of the prison system, specifically how the you know contemporary slavery that there are millions of people working in prisons for some of the most popular companies in our society, uh, getting paid pennies on the hour, and talks to then it finishes off the book talking about abolitionist alternatives. And I'll just I'll just leave you with a couple of just really profound quotes. I don't want to give the whole book away, but it's a really great read. She says that the prison therefore functions ideologically as an abstract site into which undesirables are deposited, relieving us of the responsibility of thinking about the real issues afflicting those communities from which prisoners are drawn in such disproportionate numbers. Therefore, the prison relieves us of the responsibility of seriously engaging with the problems of our society, especially those produced by racism and increasingly global capitalism. Uh, there's, there's so many just like incredible punchers that, throughout the book that really just tear down the walls. Um, but I thought that was a really profound one. And I think this is pretty fascinating. One last quote here. First, having no alternative at all would create less crime than the present criminal training centers do. And second, the only full alternative is building the kind of society that does not need prison. And so just as we're thinking about, you know, that we're in this incredible dawn of a revolution that we hope to see in our society, that, you know, I think we can really look at our elders and look at um, those who have, fought the fight and who are continuing to do that. And I think Angela Davis really models um, just how exactly we can really shift uh, our current systems, our oppressive systems into a community structured system that will create a liberating force for not only, you know, the, those who, the, the adults in the situation, but, you know, thinking about us as teachers, right. Our students and, and that that's, that's the future that we that we want for our students. Yeah, it's really powerful, Chris. Thank you for sharing and uplifting such a revolutionary who is still alive to this day, you know, and and I mm-hmm. think that sometimes when we think about legendary folks like that when they're alive, they don't get the love that they deserve. So, I'm really um thankful for you bringing her into this space. And I just wanted to wow. I also wanted to amplify that notion that you talked about earlier that we as a society need to understand how 
prisons are an extension of slavery and they're not just a new conception, right? When we start to understand how prisons are tied back to the systems of control and those systems of maintaining white supremacy, then we can have an honest conversation on how to dismantle them and, and truly abolish them um, to support our communities and what they need uh, to thrive. On point, Kev, on point. When we're thinking about liberation, that's, that's where the lot, that's where the work lies, you know, like all these things. It's not that we're trying to like reimagine something. I think it's like, we're trying to break it down and build it and build something new communally. So it definitely is going to sit. Um, it's something that we need to sit with and, and just continue to think about, which I, I, I really appreciate this book and, and I'm going to further read it as well. Yeah, just to like, tie to both those points that one, it's like really focusing on this new community approach that really addresses the root of the pain and, you know, how we can really support a whole com- our community to ensure a, you know, we have better health care, we have demilitarized schools, we have, you know, revitalized education, we have free physical and mental care, a justice system that actually is uh, based on reconciliation and not just punishment. And then on the other end, too, like, as you said, examining the history, in California, there were only three prisons in 1950s. And now we have over 40. And just the explosion, I think it's just important to recognize, like, how did this happen? Why? And when we break down the history and understand the war on drugs and just the increasing, you know, harshness of of crimes and the the laws that were created, those aren't necessary in order for our society, right? There there are alternatives that we can really turn to to support the kind of life that we want to live. But it's going to take imagination and dedication. Yeah, and I think imagination is like one of the things that. is really important to tap into when we think about all, all of this um, because a lot really has happened in the past and uh, we can use our imagination to actually like envision what it was like. I brought something to the Unbook Club. Um, not a book. I'm not the biggest reader. But <laughs> words nonetheless. I respect words. Um, and I, I'll just read a little bit here just to help us imagine kind of a scene that actually has happened, you know. Uh, Southern trees bear a strange fruit. Mm. Blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene of the gallant south. The bulging eyes and the twisted mouth. Scent of magnolias, sweet and fresh. Then the sudden smell of burning flesh. Strange fruit. Um, One of the versions that that always strikes me is the one performed by Billie Holiday. And this was a popular song, man. Mm -hmm. This was was a popular song based on a popular scene. You know? In America, man, this is things that that legitimately have happened that we don't really have to use our imagination so much to envision. But once we do, we can really picture what it was like for someone's life to end in that way. 
and it's it's based on on, on superficial ideas that 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 perpetuate the the disenfranchisement of communities and top down the things that you mentioned from prison to schools is where it is and when we consider that this is hit music that was coming out in the 40s describing this and we're now in 2020 and we're still doing this we just got to keep working i appreciate the reading of that that is a profound poem and, and has done so well by so many incredible uh, musicians i think the Billy holidays is beautiful i often think of nina simone's version and uh you know it it's the legacy and the, the actual effects are still so apparent today. I think that so many people want to look at the end of Jim Crow and the civil rights enactment to be this shift where institutional racism was, was abolished and racism in general was abolished. It's just flatly in every way untrue. And in California alone, in the past, I believe, week, maybe two weeks, there were several black men found hanging. And it's, it's, um, it's, you, you reading that poem gave me shivers, and it just, it really, it ties to the, the seriousness of the true shift that we need in our culture and the true focus that we need to do as educators and as those who can control the policy. That's really true. I think power really lies at the moment. Yeah, And I think that like as black folks and people of color and indigenous folks, like we, we have experienced this trauma that continues to come out in our society. And I would just caution folks when they're posting about trauma Mm-hmm. Um, to, mm-hmm. to be just conscientious of the purpose behind that uh, because it can be really something that triggers folks, you know? So like I'm thinking about those, those people who, um, who have died on camera and they get their, their death not only filmed but viewed by millions of people, you know? And it's important for us to know that these things happen, but also it's like, black people are living it and they've lived it and they know it and mm-hmm. they don't need to see it, you know, for them to know it. So I, I would just caution folks that when you're posting about these kind of traumatic events, like just be mindful of like the purpose behind what you're, what you're posting. I just want to second that and add a point that people of color aren't there to teach white people like me. Right. I think it is such the role right now for, uh, for white people, especially to make sure that they are educating themselves. And there are, there's a plethora of resources out there and dedicated white people in the pursuit of justice to help support that wave. And I've been, you know, incredibly, uh, pleased to see the amount of people who are really out and vocal and really, you know, it's shocking to me oftentimes. It was like, Oh, you're just really realizing this now. You're just waking up this now, but like show grace and really like, let's, let's make this transformation within ourselves. 
so that we can transform yeah, our society. I agree. It does have to start with the self. Actually, the what I brought to the book club, it's um, it's uh, poetry, books of poetry. It's actually three books mm. that I'm reading. Um, you know, I, I read the new Jim Crow law um, a while ago. Um, I, I've, I've also experienced a lot of the things that we were seeing with police brutality. And um, like Kev mentioned, you know, when we post those things, it, it, it can trigger people. And I know for me, um, when it, 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 brought, it took me back to a very bad, uh, bad space. And so the way that I've been working on my healing, like you said, Chris, you know, you have as an individual, as an individual, we have to feel and and be well in order to to continue this this fight, you know, and continue this growth that we have going on. Um, but yeah, starting with the self. So the three poetry books that I brought, uh, one of them is Heart Talk, Poetic Wisdom for a Better Life by Cleo Wade. A poem in here. Well, there it's full of poetry and also just her, um, her wisdom and you know adding on to ways that you can be well. So I'm adding that to my list right now. I, I love Goodreads, so I'm adding it right now. Thank you. <laughs> Sweet. So here's one. Um, the poem is titled "How to Keep Going." Pause, breathe, repair your universe. Proceed. So I really like that, you know, as a reminder to mm. check in and continue. Uh, the other one is by Oprah Winfrey. My mother gave me this book a couple of years ago and um, it, it reappeared. <laughs> and so this book is titled The Path Made Clear, Discovering Your Life's Direction and Purpose, Oprah Winfrey. And so this book, it's a compilation of the interviews that she has done from so many individuals, Brene Brown, Jay-Z, and she just, you know, she questions them about their personal stories and what has helped them get to where they are uh, today. And from that book, uh, one that really uh, stood out to me uh, from chapter five, and this chapter is titled The Map. And these words of wisdom, it's from Oprah herself. This is introducing chapter five. And she says, you are not your circumstances. You are your possibilities. So shifting a little bit of that mindset and focusing on, on, on looking ahead and, and working on who we are and, and looking at all of the things that we can become to, to guide us and to, to move forward. Uh, the last book. The last poetic book is titled, All Along You Were Blooming, Thoughts for Bondless Living, a collection of poetry from Morgan Harper Nichols. So I didn't know that Morgan Harper Nichols was a big Instagram poet, um, but this book is just full of beautiful poetry with amazing visuals that just, for me, has become uh, therapeutic. And I highly recommend for listeners out there to follow Morgan Harper Nichols on Instagram because every day you can have, you know, a piece of her wisdom and her artwork that could just make your day so much brighter. And um, yeah, those are the three poetic books and that I've been reading and and it's been helping me a lot. It's really cool. I when you were talking about that Cleo Wade book and when you read her her poem. 
And one of the words was pause, you know, and breathe. And those two things, I think, are so such an easy concept, but something that can be um, hard to put into practice, you know, for a lot of folks. And I go back to I was watching this Dreamville interview and a Dreamville artist. Um, his name is Loot. And he was talking about um, anxiety and how his life has been riddled with the anxiety. And it's something that he said that was so profound was um, if I could go back to all those times where I was having anxiety, I would just tell myself to breathe. And he said, you know, and that might sound silly and it might sound so easy, but he that's what he would go back to telling himself, you know. And I think that um, breathing is such a privilege and, and we're so lucky to be able to do so. And sometimes um, we overlook the power of of just the breath. So much power in that. Oh, Lord knows that so many people live in some really tough situations, man. It is so tough, man. It is so tough. It is so tough. Poverty is rampant. And it's, and you know, we're, we're talking, I think a lot is centered around the liberation of black people in America, but really I think we're talking about poor people in America too, man. Like this is, it, it, it's hard. It's really hard, man. It's really hard. And we're talking about the anxiety. Like we like the, the, the people who live in really, really tough situations, man, like they got symptoms similar to post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, similar to people who come back from war. That's real. That's real data that, 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 that shows that people are genuinely affected by this stuff, man. And if people had the options to make those choices, like just take a breath rather than do any other number of emotional things when they are feeling anxious, Man, it's just education, bro. It's just education. That's it. It's nuts. It's education of self. It's education of your community. It's education of your situation. Once you know that you're in a dire situation, I think you can make more more balanced decisions around you. You know what I mean? But it's like if you don't know, then you don't know. You just like you you just you you're just being affected. You know. But once you know, then you can do better. And it's like I guess that's what this whole thing is about: how you educate yourself and and what you consume. You got to be mindful about what you consume because man, it's bigger than just memes, and it's bigger than just it's bigger than just like a few pictures that people post, and it's bigger than just a few videos that people mm -hmm. post. Man, it's there's more to it. There's real stories behind that that affect real people that are going to continue to affect real people moving forward. Man, that's so true, and and it ties in so so well with the book that I brought, Juan. Um, so thank you for that, for that kind of, uh, for that kind of alley oop. I'm here for the dunk. You dig? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, just um. But the book that I brought is also uplifting uh, another um, black woman, another black uh, liberationist that's doing great work in our contemporary times. Um, and Dr. Bettina Love's book, "We Want to Do More Than Survive: Abolitionist Teaching and the Pursuit of Educational Freedom." She talks about the act of liberation and how that takes shape as an educator. She emphasizes the historical traumas and atrocities lifted onto black and brown people. Specifically, she talks about the educational survival complex and how being anti-racist education can take shape in our spaces. Since the beginning of the founding of this country, our school system has been built on upholding white supremacy, colonization, and imperialism. She argues that it is not enough to acknowledge racism but we must continue to consciously commit to the struggles of fighting for racial justice through the systemic oppression of desegregation, urban development of gentrification, the war on drugs, mass incarceration, police brutality, school rezoning and closings, redlining, globalization of the U.S. manufacturing industry, 
vanishing public sector jobs, and the educational survival complex, students and communities of color are forced into the margins. The wealth disparity plays a crucial role in the disparities we see in our schools. And I'd like to also uplift something that she talks about in the book. It's an amazing book. I definitely recommend everyone read this book. Uh, Dr. Bettina Love is an incredible educator who started teaching in public schools, in elementary schools, and now is a college professor. Um, So with that, I'd like to talk about something very specific that she talked about in her book, where she addresses grit and growth mindset, which I think are really big um, areas of focus right now. And I'd like to term them as buzzwords that we hear a lot in education. And she cautions us to really think about what we are um, doing to our children when we teach grit and growth mindset in isolation without any uh, critical consciousness. Because when you think about grit and growth mindset, it places the onus of what students are achieving and what students are doing and experiencing on the students themselves. Uh, And we know that just Mm. not to be true. You know, a a kid could have the most grit. And I would argue that kids who come from poverty have a high level of grit to begin with uh, living Mm. in such circumstances. But a kid could have the greatest grit, but because of the societal barriers that are placed upon upon them, they might not be able to actually uh, manifest what they want out of their lives professionally and socially. So I would just like us as educators to think about that and sit with that and ask ourselves if we are using growth and teaching kindness and teaching grit, which are definitely qualities that I think we all want to see in our children. Are we also teaching them about the systemic inequities and systemic oppressions that they will face one day or that they have already faced um, so that they are able to tackle that and that they aren't then putting the blame of what they are achieving and what they're not achieving on just themselves, but that they're seeing how the system is playing into um, who they are. What a conversation to have with a little kid, man. I'm not a parent yet. I hope if I'm blessed to be one day, I will be. But man, that's a tough conversation to have. Those are the conversations that we have with our students, though, right? Those are the conversations we need to be having and really supporting our students. That I think that what Kev really said was so important that we're not teaching it in isolation. We're not putting the onus and the guilt and this sense of shame if they can't you know, do well on the test and I can't do well on this. You know, it's not, it's just not done in isolation. It's just so critical that we're developing a critical consciousness within our students and allowing them to be center in the learning process. And also like showing, teaching them that what they're learning outside of the classroom walls is also part of their education. And they take those skills to develop into a wholer individual. And it's really important for them to, to feel pride in that. I think for me, I find it as an educator, you can, like, you know, that's your role. You know, you know, that's your role, I feel, to be, to be in, in a liber, uh, an activist for liberation. I think fundamentally, I think teachers, that's something about being a teacher. Um, but I think, like, as a parent, like, I, th- I my heart goes out to parents, like, like, when do you start that conversation as a parent? Like, if anyone could reach out to us and let us know if any parents are out there having these conversations with their kids, like, again, me as a hopeful 
father in the future, man. Like I, I would just like to know how, when does that conversation start? Cause I think it does start with one of the most powerful educators that are sometimes forgotten, which is, you know, exactly. I want to give a big shout out to my mother. She's just holding it down for my sisters. Actually, um, she, she's been having these talks with them and also people that she works with, people that she comes across. She is, is what you would call woke. And she definitely um, makes people, can make people uncomfortable. But my sisters were, um, you know, were watch, she was watching the news and, and uh, George Floyd's um, case was, was on, on the news. And my my nine my ten year old sister saw it and and my mom just you know sat them down and said hey this is what's happening you know and they were like yeah we we've noticed that we've noticed that a lot of black people get killed on the news and so they start you know to talk about it and my mom explains racism from her perspective and um and she shares with with them how even though we are um, Latinx people, indigenous from indigenous from an indigenous background, they need to know that we have also faced those types of um, scenarios, and it has happened to us. It it happens to people of color, and and why does that happen? So she she goes into how racism is in Mexico. It's all over the world because it has been something that has been embedded through religion through education, through all of these things. And, and now people are finding out, you know, the truth. And, and, and people know that there's more to, to what we've learned. And, and, and she explains to, to them that at one point, white people were taught that they were superior. And that is what they taught their kids and so on and so on. And now she's teaching them that they are the real Americans when it comes down to to that, I know when my uh, sister was younger, she mentioned, oh, you know that American kid? And we were like, excuse me, what makes that kid American? Oh, because he has blonde hair and light skin? <laughs> Actually, America? Amer we are, um, brown people are Americans. Because if, mm -hmm. and my mom is quick to say, you are an Anglo person. You are a Caucasian person. You are from a different continent. If we really want to go back mm -hmm. to who belongs here and who doesn't, Let's have that conversation. And that's the conversation that she's having with my siblings. And they are, you know, to them, it's like, oh, snap. Because this is not what they're learning at school. But like, just like Juan said, you know, parents have to want to have that conversation. And their kids have to feel comfortable enough to also ask questions. And, and it's hard. You know, it's happening at 10 and 12 years old. And I know some parents talk about this at an earlier age mm -hmm. or later mm -hmm. on in life. Mm -hmm. um, but it, you bring up such a good point, Juan. Like, how, how can you have that conversation? Not how can you have that conversation in schools, but um, where does this start? You know? For me personally, I think, like, that's why my big push, like, and, and, and just like what Kevin said, like, honestly, if anyone wants to join us for a conversation, we're July 4th, we're having our first Traveling Maestro's Revolutionist Book Club and I truly believe that everyone needs to be a maestro, a teacher, a, 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 just somebody who takes yeah. hold of the knowledge that we have and how we impart it upon others, whether you're a family member, an uncle, an auntie, just a bank member, somebody, somebody who is in some way associated with kids 
that is where the movement is happening. Like, yes, our generation is happening. Yes, we're trying to change people's opinions. Yes, we're trying to share whatever Ben and Jerry's is sharing so that it changes people's minds. But in reality, it starts with the kids. And we've known this and we've always known this. And I think everyone has to be a teacher, a maestro. So I, I just like, I, I really want to make a plug, like going off of what Kevin said earlier on in this episode go to all of our links in all of our bios and sign up. We'll get you the link for July 4th, 10 a.m. Hawaiian time. We are going to be joining together again for our first ever Revolutionist Book Club. Yay! We hope to see you there. <laughs> yes, we do. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited because that community that we're building is so important, you know, and um, just the close it off with Dr. Bettina Love. She calls those people co-conspirators. Um, and yeah. I, and th- those folks, that, that that's what we need. We need a call to action for folks, no matter your race, no matter your background, to be co-conspirators in the re- liberation of people in this country. So we'll see you July yeah. 4th. Thank you. Seriously, been a pleasure with everybody. Mr. Chris Peck, thank you for joining us all the way from Peru. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Gosh, let's liberation, the true idea of independence start on July 4th. I'm excited to be to be doing this book club. It's going to be really great. Building community. <laughs> <laughs>